Hi, and welcome to Wealthy On. I'm James Connor. Today, my guest is Jason Shapiro, and Jason is a commodity trading advisor. He trades futures on behalf of institutional clients. Jason was featured in Jack Schwager's book, Unknown Market Wizards, because of his consistent ability to make money year after year, and has had 23 consecutive up years. Jason, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Jason, here we are in early 2024. Q4 numbers will be coming out in earnest in the coming weeks, and we also have a Fed meeting coming up at the end of the month. It's also a presidential year, and there's a lot going on throughout the world. But is there anything that's going on right now that concerns you, or is there anything that keeps you up at night? You know, not anything specific, I would say, you know, other than what always concerns me and what always keeps me up at night, which is how am I going to figure out how to uh, put up good risk-adjusted returns here. Um, but it, to me, it's all it's all pretty normal. You do this long enough, and, you know, every year there's something, and every quarter there's earnings, and there's always Fed meetings, and there's always elections, and there's always politics, and there's always geopolitical problems, you know. It, it's It just becomes kind of the same the same thing over time. But I guess the one thing that really must uh, keep you up at night, though, is when you head into year end, you've had 23 consecutive up years. You're probably always nervous about that one year. You know, it's not really, uh, unfortunately, within my control necessarily. I, I have a process that I follow in my trading. It has taken me this far. So my plan is to just continue to follow the process um, and that's, that's all I can really do. You know what I mean? And, and uh, just follow my process. Um, that's what my job is to do, you know, I say it's worked this far. So hopefully it will continue to work possibility that one day it won't work anymore. And I just hope that I will be uh, cognizant enough to find when that time is. So I want to speak a little bit more about your process, but before we do that, why don't we just start with your backstory? How did you start trading? Where did you start trading? And what was the evolution of this process? Uh, I think I started like a lot of people do. I was a, a kid, and um, I was at the time living in uh, in Hong Kong. But um, there was I was in a job that was pretty boring to me, and um, there was this fantastic bull market going on around me, and it seemed like a, a good way to to make some money, you know. So I put some money into an account and I, I, I just started getting involved and um, learned a lot of lessons, hopefully, along the way about, you know, bull markets, bear markets, uh, how markets work. I went through the whole process if I made money and, you know, figured I was a hero and then gave it all back and figured I was a zero and then had to kind of do the soul searching and figure out if this is really what I wanted to do with my time and, and um went through a, a number of years where I went back and forth, where I read all the books on fundamental analysis and technical analysis and trading psychology and all the market wizards books and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of books trying to figure out what it was going to take uh, to make this work and had, you know, various levels of successes and failures and, um, and slowly just kind of developed uh, a process that I, I thought would give me the best um, chance of, of success over time and um, and have sort of been trading that process now for the last, uh, since 2000, so it's for the last 23 years. And so, okay, so you started this process in the year 2000, so how many years did it take you to develop it? About 10. And then I'm sure you had a lot of 
false starts along the way. Maybe he took some big hits. You could say that. <laughs> it's a, one of the things I'm always curious about when you talk to a professional trader is how do you recover from those hits? Because quite often, sometimes they can take you down and you don't get up again. A fact. I mean, you have to you have to make a decision, you know. Um, what am I trying to do here? And uh, what is it going to take for me to do this? And um, can I accept the fact that it might not actually uh, work in the end, you know? Um, and if that's a decision you make, then then that's sort of, you know, necessity becomes the mother of invention, so to speak, right? For me, I, I really didn't, I, I dedicated myself to the fact that I wanted to, to do this, to be a money manager. Um, and I didn't have a lot of choices because I, I wasn't uh, getting offered any any kind of good jobs from anybody anyway. So, um, you know, I just sort of really worked hard in, 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 in developing my process and testing my process and uh, both back testing and live testing my process. And, and even once you have that, you have to work hard towards being disciplined to that process. Um, and over the years, you know, I've just kind of, I've just kind of done that, I guess is the best way to explain it. I spoke to Jim Rogers recently, who was featured in the first Market Wizards book. And one of the things I asked him about when he was talking about some of his trades, he said he learned a lot more from his losing trades than he did from his profitable trades. Is that the same with you? No, 100%. I think you always learn much more from failure than you do from success. And is there any good war stories that you want to Medicaid? I mean, I can give you hundreds of them, but, you know, uh, I, I think one of the ones I talk about a lot was uh, the second half of 99. Um, me trying to be a very contrarian, take a very contrarian approach to all this, you know. Um, we, we, were, we were at a time when, you know, if you went out to lunch or whatever, everybody at the restaurant was talking about how much money they were making in their AOL stock and their JDSU stock and their Cisco stock or whatever it was. And um, <clears throat> me being trying to be contrarian, I'm, I'm trying to fade that and I'm trying to short that. And while ultimately it was the right trade, um, if you were six months too early, you know, the NASDAQ rallied another 50% in those six months, right? Um, so the, the lesson is, you know, uh, what I learned about being contrarian is you have to be patient about being contrarian, right? Um, you have to be very, very patient when you're trying to find market highs and, and market lows, the, the, you have to be uh, extremely patient about it because if you're too early, you can get absolutely run over, which is okay too. But what it means is you have to watch your risk management. You know what I mean? You can be early, you can be wrong, but just don't lose a lot of money doing that. Otherwise you're not going to be around. So you have to use, you know, risk management. You have to stop out of your losses and you know, all, all that type of stuff. You can't be stubborn. You mentioned 1999, and I believe one of the hedge fund managers who was very well known at that time was Julian Robertson. He started a company called Tiger, and I think he was also very short the market at that time, and uh, he took a massive loss, and he ended up shutting down. That's true. He did. And how many assets do you currently trade? So I trade all the U.S. futures markets that have liquidity. So there are, I believe, a total of 37 that I can get involved in. I trade one process um, across those 37 markets. So it's not like I'm trading all 37 at the same time. I trade it when my one process hits. 
you know, I, I tend to look at it like I'm counting cards on 37 different tables. And when one of the tables gets a high card count, then that's where I get involved. So once again, you don't trade equities, you don't trade bonds, strictly futures. I trade the equity index futures. I trade the bond futures and the currency futures and then a whole bunch of the commodity futures. But I do not trade individual equities, no. So let's talk about this process that you have developed over the years. How exactly does it work? So it's kind of based on the concept of um, crowded markets, obviously, um, when way too many people are leaning to one side, um, it implies to me that the risk reward is to go the other way. And there's a difference between way too many people are leaning to one side and the concept of this asset has gone up a lot. Just because an asset has gone up a lot does not necessarily mean that way too many people are leaning towards one side, right? And it's the difference to me between price being the discounting factor or positioning being the discounting factor. And I look at it as positioning being the discounting factor. So if I'm looking to, let's say, short something, I'm not looking at it as, well, this asset has gone up a lot, so I'm going to short it. I look at it more like there are way too many people that are long this asset here, so I'm looking to short it. Uh, and that's kind of how I, I have adapted my, uh, my contrarian approach to really function, be more of a function of positioning rather than price. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And when you talk about people, you mean other futures traders. Yes. So let's take all of this information, Jason, and apply it to a real case study. 2023 got a lot of people offside, as you are well aware. And one year ago, in Q1 of 2023, people were very negative. Everybody was calling for a recession. And of course, we had the regional banking crisis. What were your indicators or what was your process telling you at that time? So yes, earlier in uh, 2023, my indicators were saying that people were way too short stocks. Um, and therefore, I was I was getting long the stock market, and that, as it turned out, doesn't always work. But as it turned out, ended up being a, a very good trade for the certainly the first half of, of the year, um, which is when I was kind of closing out of it. So there's no doubt that that was the case. What you say was the case, and and it did show up in the in the positioning data as people were just way way too short. So therefore, when the market did start to go the other way, with people being so short there's a lot of juice for them to cover those shorts and, and run the market up quite high and, and a lot more than people would think that it can be run up. Which gets to my point of it's about positioning. Positioning is what gives you the good risk reward. It doesn't necessarily predict the future better than anything else, but it does give you good risk reward for a trade, which is really what, what this is all about is getting into good risk reward situations 
and then being very disciplined about managing those risk reward situations. Okay, so let's spend a little more time on risk reward. So uh, I'm assuming you use stops. At what level do you apply those stops? What sort of losses do you take? So the way that my process works is I am picking a market turn, right? So if I get long, because I think it's the market, my, my process says this is the market turn, so buy it. Well, if we make a new low, then by definition, I didn't pick the market turn because it's at a new low. So that's where I get stopped, um, which makes sense according to my process, right? Process picking a turn, market making new low, so it's not a turn, so I get out. Um, and then I size my positions to that. I know where I'm getting in. I know where I'm going to get stopped. And for me personally, I'm risking about 70 basis points of my portfolio for each trade. So if I buy this thing and it makes a new low and I get stopped, okay, I've lost 70 basis points and I move on to the next one. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that, that up. So the, the largest amount that you will allocate toward a trade is only 70 basis points. Yes, it's not really the allocation, it's the, alloc the loss allocation. So this is what I will lose. You know, it, the size of the trade is going to be adjusted by the difference between the entry and the stop. So if it's closer to the stop, then I'll have more on. And if it's so far from the stop, then I will have less on. But either way, if I get stopped, the, the goal is to lose 70 basis points on it. That's not the goal. But if I'm going to take the loss, the goal is to have the loss be 70 basis points. And even though if your gut is trying to tell you something else, you, you adhere to those losses. Like you take that loss and then move on to the next trade. Yeah, I, I, my gut uh, does not come into into the equation. <laughs> and so you said you traded 37 different assets. Yes. So you trade 37 different assets. What assets are you currently positioned I am currently positioned in zero assets right now. Um, I have no trades on right now. I'm sitting here waiting patiently um, for a few trades. Um, we have a signal to possibly short the stock market here. Um, I need market confirmation before I do that. Um, so I'm waiting for that, which we haven't gotten yet. I have a signal to get short gold here, waiting for market confirmation. And we're starting to have possibility of getting long some of the grain markets. So I'm waiting for market confirmation on those. So I'm just sitting here. I do have a few things set up as possibilities, but I wait for the market to give me confirmation on when to do those. And when you say you're waiting for confirmation, like oh, I'm really surprised given the move we've seen in the S&P, given the move we've seen in the NASDAQ, um, I thought you would be shorting this for sure. But what are the what are the indications that you're waiting to see or to get confirmation from? So what I need to see is the news to come out. Let's say I'm looking to short the NASDAQ. Um, I need news to come out that supports the bullish thesis. Okay. Great earnings from one of these big names, or let's call it a lower CPI this Thursday, right? Uh, the, the lower inflation has been bullish bonds, which has given fuel to the stock market going up. That's what I believe. So let's say the CPI comes in very favorable and bonds go up again and the NASDAQ probably goes up on that. But by the end of the day, it fails and closes down in the absence of any other kind of bearish news. That's the confirmation to me. When the market no longer goes up on news that should be making it go up, that for me is, is the confirmation that, that I need before I will put on a trade. And, and that sometimes I have markets that are showing very crowded and I don't get that confirmation for, for weeks or, or, or even months. 
And sometimes I do, and the trade doesn't work anyway. But um, part a big part of what I do is is being patient and not getting in front uh, of myself. And what's the most you will allocate toward one trade? Let's just say, for example, if you have a million dollars, how much can you you have a your process is telling you that the market is due for a pullback? How much will you allocate toward that one trade? Again, it's just based on the difference between my entry and my stop. You know, here's my entry, here's my stop. If I get stopped, I'm, I'll, my goal is to lose 70 basis points on that trade if I get stopped. So that's how my allocation works. So once again, the whole idea is because your losses are so small, you can live to fight many other days. That's correct. And when I catch one right, you know, uh, it, it can be very big and it'll make up for five or six losses. So I don't have to have anything better than a you know 40% win rate to, to make good returns over time. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, and so when you talk about win rates, how long will you keep a trade on for? Is there an average duration that you keep a trade on for? Or can it- the average can be about two to three months. It varies, but it's not up to me. Again, it's up to my process. So if I'm buying something because people are super, super short, then when the data shows that they are no longer short, that's when I will take profit. That usually tends to take about two to three months, but sometimes if they, I've had trades that have just lasted a couple of weeks and I've had winning trades that have actually lasted over a year. But it, it, typically it tends to be about two to three months. And just to review where you stand right now in 2024, you have zero positions on. You think the market might be a little toppy, if you will. Like you're not getting confirmation yet from any of your indicators to short the S&P or the NASDAQ. I don't actually think that the market is toppy. Um, if you're asking what I think, I don't think that the market is toppy. Um, but my positioning indicators are saying that people are getting a little bit too long or a lot of bit too long. Um, and therefore, when there is market confirmation, I will need to take a short position in, in the stock market as a trade. Um, but I... If you're asking me what I think, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I do what my process says to do, but uh, no, personally, I don't. I, I hate it, and I hate. I think shorting the stock market over time is the worst trade in the world, anyway. So it really has to be something that um, is very, very, very convincing within my process for me to uh, to take a short trade on the stock market. And why do you say that? Why do you think it's such a bad trade over the long term? Where was the S and P 500 100 years ago, and where is it now? I mean, you have upward drift in, in the stock market over time. Um, so you're fighting upward drift over time, which is which is a horrible thing to fight, right? And I, I personally believe you're fighting upward drift because you're fighting population growth, right? Which just creates more customers for these companies to sell to, to increase their revenues and their profits, right? You're fighting um, inflation, which is always there, right? I'm not saying high inflation, but some level of inflation is always going to be there. And therefore, again, revenues go up just based on inflation. You can sell the same exact amount of stuff. And, you know, you're going to have more revenues just because of inflation. Um, and, and you're fighting, you know, the human spirit, which in other words means you're, you're fighting productivity. 
so which has always gone up, right? As long as people are incentivized to squeeze more money out of what they're doing, then they're going to find productivity gains. Um, and that's not going away until you take the motivation away, um, which as long as we have sort of a semi-free market system, um, you're not going to take that away. So you're fighting those three things, uh, which are not going away. So, um, yeah, I, I think shorting the stock market is, is just over time the, the worst trade that's ever been invented. Um, and it's not to say I don't take shorts on the stock market. Sometimes I do. Um, but uh, I do encourage people a lot to not do that. You know, if you really think the stock market's going down, then then don't be long, right? But you don't have to be short, you know, and if the market keeps going up, then you'll miss out on making some money, but at least you won't lose money, right? And if the market does in fact go down, what time has told us is if you sold out up there and, and it goes down, well, that gives you reason to, to buy it again, right? I mean, uh, that's what's, you made more money. You know, people talk about all the money they made shorting the stock market in 2008. You made more money just buying that whole dip, right? Buying 2008, buying 2009, right? As it turns out, we're just incredible levels to be buying the stock market. So you've actually made more money buying that dip than you ever would have made selling it. And I can tell you that if you were good enough, if lucky enough to, to have sold during the, the 08 crash and all that, I can promise you that wasn't the last time you, you, you shorted the stock market. You've probably been shorting it ever since then as well. And so you've, you've given that back and more most likely. So um, that's kind of how I feel about from 99% of the people. That, that, that's kind of how I feel about shorting the stock market. So that's a good overview of what you think of equities. Now, what about bonds? We've seen a lot of volatility here in the past year. 10 years gone from five and a half down to under four. It's now above 4%. But any views on bonds? I don't have a big view on bonds here. You know, I think that... Um, the, the clear macro view is that you want to play, you know, the, 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 the steepener kind of thing um, and that therefore you want to short the long end of the curve. But it, it strikes me as almost so obvious that it's not going to work, right? That's my general feel for that trade, right? All the macro people I know and talk to want to put on that trade and it continues to not work. And um it just feels like to me it's, it's going to continue to not work. That's not a fundamental view on the economy or anything. It's just a psychological view on positioning and, and how people are approaching the markets right now. So once again, you're taking the other side of the trade, the contrarian approach. I'm not, taking, I'm not taking the other side of the trade, but I'm not putting that trade on. But my process doesn't allow me to put that trade on anyway, which is how it keeps me out of trouble. But there's just something there that uh, strikes me as strange. You know, we, we can sit here and talk a million all, all day long about how it's insane that the market is pricing in six interest rate cuts next year and, and how that's crazy and how there's no way they can do that. And that may be very true, but it seems just so obvious to me that, you know, that, that, that it's not going to work. Now, I saw you post something earlier this week on NVIDIA, one of the top performing names in the S&P last year. The top performing name in the S&P, actually. How much was it up exactly? I think it was 250% or something like that. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm going to bring it up because you were talking about an individual that kept shorting it. And maybe you can just tell us what are your views on that and shorting NVIDIA specifically. I think that's what people like to do. You know, they like to short the things that go up the most. 
Um, and I think that's the exact opposite of what you really want to do over time. Will it work once in a while? Sure. Um, but over time, you want to be buying strength and selling weakness, not selling strength and buying weakness. You know, the markets are smarter than you and smarter than me and smarter than everybody because the markets are everybody's intelligence as a whole put into one thing, right? So, you know, if you were shorting NVIDIA last year because it was going up so much, you know, as a lot of people were trying to do, you, you got what was coming to you, I think. So, yeah. I mean, the video's on, on new highs today. And, and just for the record, the re what you bring up is that I put something on the video because that guy who was shorting the video all year has now turned and, and gotten long. And I was saying that could be the top. Well, as it turned out, wrong I was because the video ripped today and the video's on new all-time high. So maybe this guy's actually just learning that, hey, being bullish is a hell of a lot easier than being bearish. Yeah, yeah, I guess time will tell. But it, it reminds me of another situation. If you go back two or three years ago, it was Tesla. Remember when everybody, when everybody in the world was wanting to short Tesla, like there was the the narrative around it was so negative, and people just got their faces ripped off. It's all positioning, man. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. So we talked about equities. We touched on bonds. What did you say about gold? I'm looking to get shorted. But you're not sure yet. No, people have gotten way too involved in gold, and 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 we did have a gold buy back earlier in the year in October, in early October. Where people were way too short but obviously this move up has gotten them out of those shorts and it's actually got them now chasing the long so if anything i would be shorting it but i, I certainly wouldn't be be long it which again doesn't mean that it can't go up here right the markets can do whatever they want to do but from a risk reward perspective from the way that i measure risk reward i i wouldn't be long gold here yeah what about oil i i don't like oil either you know from from a positioning point of view we actually have a very strange situation where usually as markets go down people are getting short and as markets go up people are getting long they're chasing the trend but uh like in unleaded gas right now we have one of the largest long positions in, in history even though unleaded gas has been going down so we've been buying this dip the whole way down seems like everybody's trying to bottom fish uh the energies here so i uh I'm not a proponent for being long energies here. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it can't go up. They just went up last week, but they've come right back down and are going to test the lows here again. So I, I don't think that there's a sustainable move up here. And you can trade it, obviously, but um, I don't see energies as being a great sustainable move up here. I'm always amazed at the volatility within the oil market. Like it's one of the largest commodity markets in the world, and yet it's nothing for it to move 4 or 5% in any given day. And we've seen that a lot in the past year. You certainly do. I mean, look what you have, though. You have wars going on. You have, you know, boats shooting at each other and shipping lanes going down. And you know, so yeah, it, it, it's a volatile one, that's for sure. So, Jason, as we wrap up here, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions just about trading in general. And I guess the first one is, what are the characteristics that make a great trader or a successful trader? Maybe that's a better question. I think the thought process has to be in terms of years instead of days. You have to be thinking in terms of earning returns over a number of years, right? And as you do that, you'll realize that one trade doesn't really make that much of a difference, right? You can be wrong, you can be right, which goes into really what I think is also very important, not caring about being wrong or being right, you know, not reducing your ego. It's not about you being wrong or being right. You're going to be wrong all the time. You're going to be right sometimes. You're going to be wrong sometimes as defined by a profitable or not profitable trade. But you have to be okay with being wrong. Hey, I'm wrong. I stop out. I get out, whatever. You know, and sometimes it's, hey, I'm wrong. I stop out and that was the low and then the thing goes up and oh my God, you know what I mean? But you have to put that all out of your mind. 
right? You have to focus on, 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 on risk reward. You have to focus on the idea that you, you cannot see the future. I promise you, right? Nobody can, right? So trying to trade by predicting the future is going to be dangerous, A. And B, then it gets you into the whole ego thing of, of right and wrong. Well, I thought I could see the future and the market is not doing what I thought it was going to do. So I just have to wait until the market sees what I'm seeing. Well, no, that, that's ego and that's going to kill you. So I think a lack of ego in, in that terms is, is, uh, is extremely important too. Open mind, lack of ego. Open mind, lack of ego. And what about discipline? Well, discipline clearly fits right into those things, right? The discipline has to be, hey, I was wrong. So I just get out. Right, take my loss, move on. Right, that, that discipline has to be there, no question about it. And that can all be helped by building a process that you follow. Right, and you can build the process on anything you want. Your belief system of how markets work, build your process based on that. But your process will help keep you very disciplined. I don't like to take losses. I don't like to cut out. But my process is cut out. I cut out. That, that's it. I take my loss. I move on. And and I guess uh, that reminds me of another question I want to ask you. Like I said, you were featured in Unknown Market Wizards. And I would highly suggest any of our viewers to check that book out. And also the other two books that were written by Jack Swagger, Market Wizards. But are there any traders in those books that you really admire or any trader, any of those traders that you learned from over the years? Oh, yeah. I learned a lot um, from the Market Wizards series of books. I think he actually has five books. Yep. Um, the first two um, and Market Wizards 1, Market Wizards 2. And then hedge fund market wizards. Stock market wizards was not really my thing because I'm not a stock trader. But um, hedge fund market wizards in the first two, certainly Michael Platt has great things to say in his interview in hedge fund market wizards. To me, the people in, in market wizards won the first bunch of people, Michael Marcus, Bruce Kovner, Paul Tudor Jones, um, were extremely valuable to, to my thought processes. No question about it. I, I think that you read those three books and you're, you're 90 and you take them to heart and you learn the lessons and you observe the lessons in the market that they're talking about, you're, you're ahead of 95% of the people out there. Jason, that was a great discussion. I want to thank you very much for spending time with us today. If someone would like to learn more about you and the services that you offer, where can they go? So our main service is on crowdedmarketreport.com, which you can learn all about what we do there. Um, I also do YouTube videos under that same thing, which are all free, Crowded Market Report. And we have a Twitter handle, crowded underscore MKT underscore RPT, I believe, uh, which is on Twitter. And I, and I put some things on Twitter there. I try to put at least one thing a day kind of thing on Twitter, what we're looking at. Um, and then we also recently just started a Substack thing, which is a free newsletter. It gives you like sort of a taste of what our bigger newsletter looks like. That's all free. And you can sign up for that and get the email. And, you know, sometimes we'll put some charts on there as well to, to check out. So uh, those are all kind of places that people can, can check out and see if they like what we're doing here and, and hopefully it can help them uh, help them improve what, what they're doing, which is really the goal of what we're trying to do here, right? I'm not here to say trade like me, you know, follow me, you know. I'm here to say everybody trade has to trade their own way, but maybe the stuff that I'm looking at can help you improve what, what you're doing. Very good points. Listen, I want to thank you very much and I look forward to our next discussion. Great, man. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Jason Shapiro. One of the reasons we do these interviews is to provide you with insights on how to navigate the financial markets. And if you need assistance in doing that, consider having a discussion with a Wealthion endorsed financial advisor at Wealthion.com. There's no obligation to work with any of these advisors. It's a 
free service that Wealthion offers to all of its viewers. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel, Wealthion.com, and hit that notification button to be kept up to date on future events. We have some amazing interviews coming out in the coming days and weeks that will help you navigate these markets. Thank you for spending time with us today, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you.